Okay, perfect, perfect. Um, good, uh, good to see you. I hope you all uh, had a good Thanksgiving, everybody. Did you uh, find a table to sit around and some folks to sit around it with you? Uh, good, excellent. I did. I will tell you, um, just, uh, you know, I don't know, sometimes I just sort of feel like I'm standing up here chronicling my own challenges. Uh, this Sunday will be uh, no different. So let me tell you, I've told you a few weeks ago about this uh, situation in my house. I got this giant hole in my ceiling with pipes, plumbing pipes problem. Do you guys feel me? You know, not go back, watch the other sermons. I've just been chronicling this throughout all of my, we've had a Mark sermon series, but really it's been like a, my plumbing problems sermon series that we've been walking through. So we were supposed to host uh, Thanksgiving. I love hosting, love having folks around. It's a really beautiful and complicated arrangement for me internally because I love hosting. Lisa and I have folks in and out of our house. Somebody's going to be with us this week and like we just love that and I'm an introvert. So it really is a kind of a curious spot. So I love having folks there and so I was in the kitchen. I'm like man I'm really glad all those people are out there really enjoying themselves. I'm just going to carve the turkey by myself. Like it's sort of like that. But the problem was that we were going to have folks over, but there's this giant hole in my ceiling. And so I just sort of texted everybody. I said, hey, listen, really glad you're here. I want you to know we have one bathroom. It's in the basement. Good luck. Find your way there. And thank you for helping me get over my embarrassment that uh, things on Thanksgiving are supposed to look a certain way. You're supposed to present yourself and your home. And, you know, I saw other images. Some of your houses looked really great, like with you know, candles on the table and sort of matching like the chargers. I learned what a charger was. It's the plate underneath the plate. I, we rocked the we rocked the, the Costco paper plates, but it did say Happy Thanksgiving on them, so I felt good about that. <laughs> we just had some, you know, folding tables underneath the giant hole in the ceiling so that we could imagine that it was a skylight. Because Thanksgiving is just about getting together with folks and just remembering the things for which we're grateful. And so I do hope that Thanksgiving was that. I hope that the days since Thanksgiving have afforded you some moments of rest and reflection. Um, I don't know about you, but goodness gracious, it feels like the days, I feel like there's like 90 minutes of sunlight and then immediately it's dark. Anybody else feeling that? I, um, it, the days just seem super short. The other day I was leaving the office like 5 o'clock and it was dark and I'm like, dang, I worked really late. It's like 10 o'clock and here I am like on 8th Street heading home and uh, it was just, I'm ready for like my pajama and slippers. I, I'm like channeling my inner granddad and like wanting to hit like the 4.30 senior special at the hometown buffet, come home, watch 6 o'clock news and then like call it a night because it's just, it feels so dark. And I don't mean like it's, you know, like kind of dark. It's like dark, dark and like fast. I was thinking about this um, earlier and I was like, we have to be in like the darkest part of the year. And so I Googled it, not even close. Like the darkest night of the year, the longest, the shortest day, longest night of the year, is like a month away. It's like four weeks. We still got a whole host of this. Um, somebody mentioned to me the other day, they were like, I know, <laughs> you know, look, Watson, I know it's November, but I am so over winter already. And I'm like, <laughs> yo, sis, we got, we got some work to do here. I, uh, I'm not going to lie. It feels like, it feels like this winter is going to be a long one and a, and a dark one. Maybe that's just sort of the pessimist in me. But today marks the beginning of the Advent season. It's the season that leads into Christmas. And for us in D.C., and, and those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, for that matter, um, Advent arrives in the darker days of winter. 
And when I'm not like in my feelings about how quickly the sunlight has left us and the cold has crept in, I'm grateful that Advent starts in the dark. Because the first Advent started in the dark. In Luke's gospel, he begins the account of Jesus' birth in Luke 2, the passage we just read in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The news of Jesus' birth begins in a field in the middle of the night. And I find hope in that. For the next few weeks leading into Advent, we want to reflect on the ways that Jesus' arrival is good news and great joy. And we want to consider this through the traditional Advent themes of peace and joy and love and today, hope. How is Jesus' arrival into the world, into my world, our world, this world, the world? How is Jesus' arrival hopeful good news and hope-filled joy? I've been wondering about uh, hope, especially hope that arrives in the middle of the night as it did for those first shepherds watching their flocks in a Palestinian field. The thing about the night and the dark is the uncertainty. It's, it's like the lack of clarity and the unforeseen that fills us with fear. It's not so much the darkness. I remember when our kids were little, helping them uh, overcome their fear of the dark. Uh, when Nathan, when he was little, like three or four, uh, we were living in Memphis at the time, and he was scared to go into the kitchen at night when the lights were off. Our kitchen was kind of long, and it had this uh, sort of wall that went down the middle of it, and then sort of the back end of it was a pantry. And so I was like, hey, you, you know, you got to, you know, you don't let fear, like, you got to go into the kitchen, you go into the kitchen. Don't be scared, like, just go. And he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. So one day I was like, maybe I can bribe him. He would, like, take a few steps and then come back. He would take a few more steps and then come back. And finally I said, okay, look, here's what I'm going to do, Nathan, three-year-old Nathan. I'll give you $2 if you, like, make a lap in the dark, go around into the pantry, come back, make it here, boom, $2. What do you say? Nathan has always been motivated by money, even at three years old, and he was like, bet. So he like takes a step back and, uh, and I'm just kind of sitting in the you know, chair and he goes, ah, and so he just takes off running and he goes, runs into the dark, but he doesn't just run, he starts shouting. So he's like, ah, all the way around into the dark, ah, like we can hear him in the pantry, he's making the loop, he's coming back, he doesn't stop at me, just keeps running and yelling, running past me, ah, and that's how he conquered his fear of the dark the first time. Because sometimes that's the only way you make it through the dark. It's by running and by shouting at it. With Annalise, it was different. Annalise is unmotivated by money at all. You give her $2, she'll say, thank you, I want to be kind to you, here's three. She was scared to go into our basement and, uh, on her own. Even if the, like, the nightlight was on, she's still like, I'm not going down there. She was afraid. Because the thing is, it doesn't have to be pitch dark for you to be afraid. It can sometimes only just be halfway dark and you're afraid of it. Annalise was, uh, she, like I said, she was unmoved by money. But what she wanted was for somebody to be near her when she conquered the fear. And so <laughs> in the basements where we keep um, our spare rolls of paper towels, kind of a pantry down there, 
And, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, we ran out of paper towels here in the kitchen. Baby girl, why don't you conquer your fear and go down and get daddy a roll of paper towels? I think you can do it. Today's the day. It's great. Just go down there and conquer your fear. And we both win because I don't have to go down there and get a roll of paper towels. She's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm kind. I'm encouraging. Still nothing moves. So then I just just demand. I am your father in need of paper towels. Daughter, go get some. So my voice escalates, and when that happens, then tears fall, and that just sort of messes up the whole situation. So the arrangement that we had, the, 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 yeah, the arrangement that we had was that she would go and get them, but I had to stand at the top of the steps that lead down to the basement, and I had to talk to her the entire time. All right, so I wasn't going down there, but I was just going to talk her through it. So I said, okay, fine. So I stood at the top. She descended into the scary darkness of our finished basement. (laughs) She reached the bottom and she stops and she flicks on the light and then she made the rest of the journey into the unknown while I talked her through it. I'm still here. Good. Go. Yeah, they're on the shelf. Buy the laundry. Good. You got them. Tell you what, while you're down there, bring up two. She walks back never too far away because there are times that we have to face the dark and the dimly lit and we face it best with others especially those that will talk us through our journey the thing my kids were facing and the thing that we all have to face is the unknown of it all we don't know what the night holds and we don't know what's up ahead or around the bend We don't know if we're in the twilight of the pandemic or if we're on the front edge of another wave of illness. We don't know if the country will hold together another round of political mayhem or will shatter into a violent menagerie. We don't know if our jobs will sustain or what sort of economic downturns await. We we just don't know. Author Peter Momsen writes, radical uncertainty is ours to live with. Shepherds were in the middle of the night. They're surrounded by sheep, and they're surrounded by uncertainty, and an angel appears. Imagine that. Imagine that. Had you been running around uh, the kitchen, Nate, and then just sort of an angel appears in the pantry, how would that have gone? I would have shouted with you. But an angel appears with news of hope on the horizon. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be the cause of great joy for all the people. The first thing that the angel says to the shepherds is do not be afraid. The opening lines from angelic voices is don't be afraid. This message from the angels is actually one of the most common repeated commands that God gives his children throughout the Bible. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Over and over in the Old Testament and in the New, there's a repetition of God's reassurance to us that we need not fear. The message comes to us through the prophets and through the priests and through the poets and here through angels. Deuteronomy 31, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Joshua 1, 9, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Isaiah, the prophet in chapter 43 of Isaiah, but now this is what the Lord says, fear not, I have redeemed you. The psalmist, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know it, I will fear no evil. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? At the scene of the resurrection, 
At the conclusion of the Gospels, the Bible records that an angel shows up there too and greets the women who've returned to try and anoint Jesus' body in the tomb. And the angel to the women says the same thing that the angel said to the shepherds. Matthew 28, verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. Paul would write in his epistles in 2 Timothy, For God's not given us a spirit of fear. And then at the end of the scriptures, in Revelation 1, John, the author of Revelation, says, Then he placed, Jesus placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Over and over throughout the scriptures, God is saying the same thing that the angels are saying to the shepherds and to us. Do not be afraid. Thing is, there was a lot to fear in that moment, particularly for the shepherds. Shepherds lived tedious and, and, and back-breaking lives. There was a constant threat of, uh, to their safety from the wild animals in the wilderness in which the sheep grazed and the wild world in which they all lived. Shepherding only provided a subsistent livelihood and the slightest of economic downturns or hardships would find the shepherd and their family battling hunger and destitution. You take these fear-making ingredients and then mix them with the larger anxiety that was produced under, by living under Roman occupation and the constant threats of oppressive violence both from Rome and from Roman soldiers on the one hand and the regular waves of violent uprisings and revolts that dotted the landscape and history of occupied Israel. And yet into that moment, the angel, the first words they say is don't be afraid. The angels continue their conversation with the shepherds by telling them why they ought not be afraid. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, He's Messiah the Lord. The angels brought news that the Savior had arrived, the one who would liberate them from all that binds and heal them of all that was broken. Jesus had arrived. That's what Advent means after all. It means arrival. In the midst of so much uncertainty, in the, in the middle of the night, news of the one who would rescue humanity and set, all, set right all that was wrong in the world. News of the arrival of the Savior, the Messiah. News that the Lord was here, reached across the heavens and made its way to earth and was deposited into the ears and the hearts of those shepherds. The angel went on to say that the way that the shepherds would know that this is true is because they'd find the Savior having arrived as a baby. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, the Savior's arrival was embodied. It was flesh and blood. The angelic news of, of salvation was not merely ethereal or sublime, but it would be grounded and dirty and near. The Savior would be embodied, would, would uh, be a flesh and blood person who eats meals and breaks bread and roasts fish by uh, lakeside campfires and gives glimpses of an embodied kingdom and what that would look like. The Savior would heal real eyes and heal real bodies and rescue embodied souls. The Savior would display different forms of generosity with real money and real resources. The Savior would speak real words to real rulers and real places and live under real oppression, yet express real joy and real sorrow and provide all of us with real hope. 
the myriad of fears that we face and the uncertainty that stirs and the anxiety that resides in us all, it matters to God. It is the very thing that Jesus came to face. We can be hopeful in the midst of any and all uncertainty because our hope is in a real God who came to earth as a real person, and that person was Jesus. The angels were announcing to those shepherds and to us that because of Jesus' arrival, we need not be afraid. They would go on to say that this good news of theirs would be great cause, would be the cause of great joy for all people. That Jesus' arrival would be good news and great joy. That's what had arrived in a manger not far from the shepherds and their sheep. After the angel delivers uh, the message, then like a whole crew of angels show up. It's like one sort of was the guy to say something, and then a whole host show up. And they start singing praises about this news. It's like a chorus, like the, it's like the angels, first angels, like, you know, it's like the crew, like his entourage, like his chorus, his ensemble. I don't know some musical terms that I'm, you know, maybe not the best at. So, but, you know, he tells the news, and then there's like a song afterwards. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts, they appeared with the angel, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's like the rest of the angels, they don't want to, you know, they don't want one angel to get all of action, right? They're like, hey, I want in on some of this celebration too. They walk into, uh, you know, they want in on it. The text indicates sort of an abruptness, says suddenly this thing happened. First, the angel talks to the shepherds, don't be afraid, good news, blah, blah, blah. And the other angels are like, all right, that's enough, good. Oh, good, good, glory to God. Like they just jump in. Verse 15, the angel messenger and his backup singers, they just kind of float back to heaven. Doesn't say like what happened. They don't like leave, depart, float. They just dis- you know, go back to heaven. And what I find encouraging and challenging about how this scene concludes is how the shepherds respond. Verse 15, when the angels had left, dipped, Gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The truth is, if that had happened to me, just, just knowing me, like I might have just been like, oh, I got to sit down for a minute. I might need a journal. Let me reflect the things of the Lord. I, 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 but jumping up and like, Bethlehem, let's go, boom. I, you know, I don't know. I might have posted something and then like deleted it. I'm like, man, nobody's going to leave this. I got, but the shepherds, they act on what they've heard. They immediately begin stewarding the hope that they have received. They, they go to the manger, they see Jesus, and then later in the story, Luke says, verse 17, when they had seen him, when, when the shepherds had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They stewarded the hope and the news of a Savior. They, they acted on that hope, a hope that was rooted in their arrival of Jesus, hope that had come to them in the middle of an uncertain night. This week, marks the beginning of Advent, and as we reflect on this Advent theme of hope, I want us to consider how the arrival of Jesus in our lives and in our world can be a source of hope. 
the kind of hope that casts out fear, even in the midst of darkness and the unseen. And let us be a people that steward the hope that we have received. Let us follow in the footsteps of the shepherds, having seen and experienced the presence of Jesus ourselves. Let us be about sharing that news of hope to the wider world all around us. And Burnsville, North Carolina is the Bare Dark Sky Observatory. Raise your hand if you knew that. Welcome to my world. Just learned it. Nestled on the edge, it's nestled on the edge of Yancey County there in North Carolina, and it's one of the last remaining truly dark places, the truly dark patches of sky east of the Mississippi River. In writing about this place, author and journalist Latria Graham, she notes, for thousands of years when night fell, humans found a way to adapt to it. Now we shape our world to suit our needs, illuminating the darkness with artificial light. Now, because of technology and development, we've created such light pollution that we block our ability to appreciate the miracle of lush, deep, inky heavens where the moon and stars guide us to who we are and where we're going. Graham would go on to reflect on the damage that we do when we work so hard to create our own light in the middle of the night. She writes, some sleepless nights, I'm unsure how the world works. The compass I once used to negotiate my day today, it doesn't track after a discombobulating year that took so much from so many. There's so much pressure to create my own light with little thought of the emotional or environmental cost. And when it burns out, I'm left fumbling searching for something to sustain me during life's pitch black moments. I'll be honest with you. Latria's words, they resonate deeply with me. The anxiety and the doubt in them, the grasping at control, the enveloped feeling that can come when what seems like night is pressing in and the days are getting shorter. But then she goes on to note that it is only in the landscape of night that we can see the stars emerge. And so, friends, if you ever find yourself in Burnsville, a small town nestled in the southern tip of the Blue Ridge Mountains, and night begins, the stars will shine. Initially, they'll come out one at a time, one by one by one. You'll see Vega first, and then Polaris and then like the angel and angels with the shepherds, then they'll all appear all of the sudden. When you look with just your naked eye, you'll be able to see 9,000 stars. If you find your way to the observatory and look through their fancy telescope that they'll have there, you'll be able to see 700 million. Glory to God in the heavens. Glory to God in the heavens and on earth, peace. Saints, you don't have to create your own light anymore. And you don't have to create your own hope. Know that Jesus, the light that is truly light, is here. And that is good news. And that's great joy. Let me pray for us.
Holy Spirit, I, I don't know the I don't know the nights that those that are in this room are facing. I don't know the, the particulars about the feelings of enveloped darkness that some in here might feel. But Lord, you do. In the Spirit, I pray that by your tenderness and by the story that we hear in the first opening Advent, God, that, that hope can arrive in the middle of the night. That good news and great joy it can show up even in the midst of uncertainty. And God, that our hope has a name. It's Jesus. And Jesus, I pray that in whatever ways you need to bring to bear your hope in the lives of my friends that are in this room, Spirit, I pray that you would do that even in this moment and even now. God, I pray that we would know that, that you are very near you are accessible and that you invite and embrace and welcome us all. I pray these things in Jesus' name.